Welcome to Bite at a Time Books Behind the Story, where we answer the questions you have about your favorite classic authors. What inspired your favorite author to write their novels? What was going on in the world at the time? Follow along with us as we tell you what was happening in the world while your favorite authors wrote your favorite classics. My name is Bree Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes, but also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show and YouTube, where we have special behind the narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear a book by the author, check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we'll be talking about the career of Charles Dickens. Journalism and Writing In 1832, at the age of 20, Dickens was energetic and increasingly self-confident. He enjoyed mimicry and popular entertainment, lacked a clear, specific sense of what he wanted to become, and yet knew he wanted fame. Drawn to the theater, he became an early member of the Garrick Club. He landed an acting audition at Convent Garden, where the manager George Bartley and the actor Charles Kemble were to see him. Dickens prepared meticulously and decided to imitate the comedian Charles Matthews. But ultimately, he missed the audition because of a cold— Before another opportunity arose, he had set out on his career as a writer. In 1833, Dickens submitted his first story, A Dinner at Poplar Walk, to the London Periodical Monthly Magazine. William Barrow, Dickens's uncle on his mother's side, offered him a job on the Mirror of Parliament, and he worked in the House of Commons for the first time early in 1832. He rented rooms at Furnival's Inn and worked as a political journalist, reporting on parliamentary debates— and he traveled across Britain to cover election campaigns for the Morning Chronicle. His journalism, in the form of sketches and periodicals, formed his first collection of pieces published in 1836, Sketches by Boz. Boz being a family nickname he employed as a pseudonym for some years. Dickens apparently adopted it from the nickname Moses, which he had given to his youngest brother Augustus Dickens after a character in Oliver Goldsmith's The Vicar of Wakefield. When pronounced by anyone with a head cold, Moses became Boses, later shortened to Bows. Dickens's own name was considered queer by a contemporary critic who wrote in 1849, Mr. Dickens, as if in revenge for his own queer name, thus bestows still queerer ones upon his fictitious creations. Dickens contributed to and edited journals throughout his literary career— In January 1835, the Morning Chronicle launched an evening edition under the editorship of the Chronicle's music critic, George Hogarth. Hogarth invited him to contribute street sketches, and Dickens became a regular visitor to his Fulham house, excited by Hogarth's friendship with Walter Scott, whom Dickens greatly admired, and enjoying the company of Hogarth's three daughters, Georgina, Mary, and 19-year-old Catherine. Dickens made rapid progress both professionally and socially. He began a friendship with William Harrison Ainsworth, the author of the Highwayman novel Rookwood, 1834, whose bachelor salon in Harrow Road had become the meeting place for a set that included Daniel MacLeese, Benjamin Disraeli, Edward Bulwer-Lytton, and George Cruikshank, 
All these became his friends and collaborators, with the exception of Disraeli. And he met his first publisher, John McCrone, at the house. The success of sketches by Boz led to a proposal from publishers Chapman and Hall for Dickens to supply text to match Robert Seymour's engraved illustrations in a monthly letterpress. Seymour committed suicide after the second installment, and Dickens, who wanted to write a connected series of sketches, hired Fizz to provide the engravings, which were reduced from four to two per installment for the story. The resulting story became The Pickwick Papers, and although the first few episodes were not successful, the introduction of the Cockney character Sam Weller in the fourth episode, the first to be illustrated by Fizz, marked a sharp climb in its popularity. The final installment sold 40,000 copies. On the impact of the character, the Paris Review stated, arguably the most historic bump in English publishing is the Sam Weller bump. A publishing phenomenon, John Sutherland called the Pickwick Papers the most important single novel of the Victorian era. The unprecedented success led to numerous spin-offs and merchandise, including Pickwick cigars, playing cards, China figurines, Sam Weller puzzles, Weller boot polish, and joke books. The Sam Weller bump testifies not merely to Dickens's comic genius, but to his acumen as an entrepreneur a portmanteau he inhabited long before The Economist took it up. For a writer who made his reputation crusading against the squalor of the Industrial Revolution, Dickens was a creature of capitalism. He used everything from the powerful new printing presses to the enhanced advertising revenues to the expansion of railroads to sell more books. Dickens ensured that his books were available in cheap bindings for the lower orders as well as in Morocco and gilt for people of quality. His ideal readership included everyone from the pickpockets who read Oliver Twist to Queen Victoria who found it exceedingly interesting. How the Pickwick Papers launched Charles Dickens's career, the Paris Review. On the creation of modern mass culture, Nicholas Dames in The Atlantic writes, Literature is not a big enough category for Pickwick. It defined its own, a new one that we've learned to call entertainment. In November 1836, Dickens accepted the position of editor of Bentley's Michelinie, a position he held for three years until he fell out with the owner. In 1836, as he finished the last installments of the Pickwick Papers, he began writing the beginning installments of Oliver Twist, writing as many as 90 pages a month while continuing work on Bentley's and also writing four plays, the production of which he oversaw. Oliver Twist, published in 1838, became one of Dickens's better-known stories and was the first Victorian novel with a child protagonist. On 2nd April 1836, after a one-year engagement, and between episodes two and three of the Pickwick Papers, Dickens married Catherine Thompson Hogarth, 1815-1879, the daughter of George Hogarth, editor of the Evening Chronicle. They were married in St. Luke's Church, Chelsea, London, after a brief honeymoon in Chalk and Kent, the couple returned to lodgings at Furnival's Inn. The first of their ten children, Charles, was born in January 1837. And a few months later, the family set up home in Bloomsbury at 48 Dowdy Street, London, on which Charles had a three-year lease at £80 a year, from 25 March 1837 until December 1839. Dickens's younger brother, Frederick, and Catherine's 17-year-old sister, Mary Hogarth, moved in with them. Dickens became very attached to Mary, and she died in his arms after a brief illness in 1837. Unusually for Dickens, as a consequence of his shock, 
he stopped working, and he and Catherine stayed at a little farm on Hampstead Heath for a fortnight. Dickens idealized Mary, and the character he fashioned after her, Rose Maylie, he found he could not now kill as he had planned in his fiction. And according to Ackroyd, he drew on memories of her for his later descriptions of Little Nell and Florence Dombey. His grief was so great that he was unable to meet the deadline for the June installment of the Pickwick Papers, and had to cancel the Oliver Twist installment that month as well. The time in Hampstead was the occasion for a growing bond between Dickens and John Forster to develop. Forster soon became his unofficial business manager, and the first to read his work. His success as a novelist continued. The young Queen Victoria read both Oliver Twist and the Pickwick Papers, staying up until midnight to discuss them. Nicholas Nickleby, 1838-39, The Old Curiosity Shop, 1840-41, and finally his first historical novel, Barnaby Rudge, A Tale of the Riots of 80, as part of the Master Humphreys Clock series, 1840-41, were all published in monthly installments before being made into books. In the midst of all his activity during this period, there was discontent with his publishers, and John McCrone was bought off, while Richard Bentley signed over all his rights in Oliver Twist. Other signs of a certain restlessness and discontent emerged. In Broadstairs, he flirted with Eleanor Picken, the young fiancé of his solicitor's best friend, and one night grabbed her and ran with her down to the sea. He declared they were both to drown there in the sad sea waves. She finally got free, and afterwards kept her distance. In June 1841, he precipitously set out on a two-month tour of Scotland, and then, in September 1841, telegraphed Forster that he had decided to go to America— Master Humphrey's clock was shut down, though Dickens was still keen on the idea of the weekly magazine, a form he liked, an appreciation that had begun with his childhood reading of 18th-century magazines Tatler and The Spectator. Dickens was perturbed by the return to power of the Tories, whom he described as people whom politically I despise and abhor. He had been tempted to stand for the liberals in reading, but decided against it due to financial straits. He wrote three anti-Tory verse satires, The Fine Old English Gentleman, The Quack Doctor's Proclamation, and Subjects for Painters, which were published in The Examiner. First Visit to the United States On 22 January 1842, Dickens and his wife arrived in Boston, Massachusetts, aboard the RMS Britannia, during their first trip to the United States and Canada, at this time, Georgina Hogarth, another sister of Catherine, joined the Dickens household, now living at Devonshire Terrace, Marylebone, to care for the young family they had left behind. She remained with them as a housekeeper, organizer, advisor, and friend until Dickens's death in 1870. Dickens modeled the character of Agnes Wickfield after Georgina and Mary. He described his impressions in a travelogue, American Notes for General Circulation, in notes, Dickens included a powerful condemnation of slavery, which he had attacked as early as the Pickwick Papers, correlating the emancipation of the poor in England with the abolition of slavery abroad, citing newspaper accounts of runaway slaves disfigured by their masters. In spite of the abolitionist settlements gleaned from his trip to America, some modern commentators have pointed out inconsistencies in Dickens's view on racial inequality— for instance, he has been criticized for his subsequent acquiescence in Governor Eyre's harsh crackdown during the 1860s, Morit Bay Rebellion in Jamaica, 
and his failure to join other British progressives in condemning it. From Richmond, Virginia, Dickens returned to Washington, D.C., and started to track westward, with brief pauses in Cincinnati and Louisville to St. Louis, Missouri. While there, he expressed a desire to see an American prairie before returning east. A group of 13 men then set out with Dickens to visit Looking Glass Prairie, a trip 30 miles into Illinois. During his American visit, Dickens spent a month in New York City giving lectures, raising the question of international copyright laws and the pirating of his work in America. He persuaded a group of 25 writers headed by Washington Irving to sign a petition for him to take to Congress. But the press were generally hostile to this, saying that he should be grateful for his popularity and that it was mercenary to complain about his work being pirated. The popularity he gained caused a shift in his self-perception, according to critic Kate Flint, who writes that he found himself a cultural commodity and its circulation had passed out his control, causing him to become interested in and delve into themes of public and personal personas in the next novels. She writes that he assumed a role of influential commentator, publicly and in his fiction, evident in his next few books. His trip to the U.S. ended with a trip to Canada, Niagara Falls, Toronto, Kingston, and Montreal, where he appeared on stage in light comedies. Return to England Soon after his return to England, Dickens began work on the first of his Christmas stories, A Christmas Carol, written in 1843, which was followed by The Chimes in 1844 and The Cricket on the Hearth in 1845. Of these, A Christmas Carol was most popular, and tapping into an old tradition did much to promote a renewed enthusiasm for the joys of Christmas in Britain and America. The seeds for the story became planted in Dickens's mind during a trip to Manchester to witness the conditions of the manufacturing workers there. This, along with scenes he had recently witnessed at the Field Lane Ragged School, caused Dickens to resolve to strike a sledgehammer blow for the poor. As the idea for the story took shape and writing began in earnest, Dickens became engrossed in the book. He later wrote that as the tale unfolded, he wept and laughed and wept again as he walked about the black streets of London 15 or 20 miles, many a night when all sober folks had gone to bed. After living briefly in Italy, 1844, Dickens traveled to Switzerland, 1846, where he began work on Dombey and Son, 1846-48. This and David Copperfield, 1849-50, mark a significant artistic break in Dickens's career, as his novels became more serious in theme and more carefully planned than his early works. At about this time, he was made aware of a large embezzlement at the firm where his brother Augustus worked, John Chapman & Co., it had been carried out by Thomas Powell, a clerk who was on friendly terms with Dickens, and who had acted as mentor to Augustus when he started work. Powell was also an author and poet and knew many of the famous writers of the day. After further fraudulent activities, Powell fled to New York and published a book called The Living Authors of England, with a chapter on Charles Dickens, who was not amused by what Powell had written. One item that seemed to have annoyed him was the assertion that he had based the character of Paul Dombey, Dombey and son, on Thomas Chapman, one of the principal partners at John Chapman & Co. Dickens immediately sent a letter to Lewis Gaylord Clark, editor of the New York literary magazine The Knickerbocker, saying that Powell was a forger and thief. Clark published the letter in the New York Tribune, and several other papers picked up the story. Powell began proceedings to sue these publications, and Clark was arrested. 
Dickens, realizing that he had acted in haste, contacted John Chapman and Co. to seek written confirmation of Powell's guilt. Dickens did receive a reply confirming Powell's embezzlement. But once the directors realized this information might have to be produced in court, they refused to make further disclosures. Owing to the difficulties of providing evidence in America to support his accusations, Dickens eventually made a private settlement with Powell out of court. Philanthropy Angela Burdett Coots, heir to the Coots banking fortune, approached Dickens in May 1846 about setting up a home for the redemption of fallen women of the working class. Coots envisioned a home that would replace the punitive regimes of existing institutions with a reformative environment, conducive to education and proficiency in domestic household chores. After initially resisting, Dickens eventually founded the home named Urania Cottage in the Lime Grove area of Shepherd's Bush, which he managed for 10 years, setting the house rules, reviewing the accounts, and interviewing prospective residents. Immigration and marriage were central to Dickens's agenda for the women on leaving Urania Cottage, from which it is estimated that about 100 women graduated between 1847 and 1859. Religious Views As a young man, Dickens expressed a distaste for certain aspects of organized religion. In 1836, in a pamphlet titled Sunday Under Three Heads, he defended people's rights to pleasure opposing a plan to prohibit games on Sundays, look into your churches, diminished congregations and scanty attendance, People have grown sullen and obstinate, and are becoming disgusted with the faith which condemns them to such a day as this, once in every seven. They display their feeling by staying away from church, turn into the streets on a Sunday, and mark the rigid gloom that reigns over everything around. Dickens honored the figure of Jesus Christ. He is regarded as a professing Christian. His son, Henry Fielding Dickens, described him as someone who possessed deep religious convictions— in the early 1840s, he had shown an interest in Unitarian Christianity, and Robert Browning remarked that Mr. Dickens is an enlightened Unitarian. Professor Gary College has written that he never strayed from his attachment to popular lay Anglicanism. Dickens authored a work called The Life of Our Lord, 1846, a book about the life of Christ written with the purpose of sharing his faith with his children and family. In a scene from David Copperfield, Dickens echoed Geoffrey Chaucer's use of Luke 23:34 from Trollius and Chryside. Dickens held a copy in his library, with G.K. Chesterton writing, among the great canonical English authors, Chaucer and Dickens have the most in common. Dickens disapproved of Roman Catholicism and 19th-century evangelicalism, seeing both as extremes of Christianity and likely to limit personal expression— and was critical of what he saw as the hypocrisy of religious institutions and philosophies, like spiritualism, all of which he considered deviations from the true spirit of Christianity, as shown in the book he wrote for his family in 1846. While Dickens advocated equal rights for Catholics in England, he strongly disliked how individual civil liberties were often threatened in countries where Catholicism predominated, and referred to the Catholic Church as that curse upon the world— Dickens also rejected the evangelical conviction that the Bible was the infallible word of God. His ideas on biblical interpretation were similar to the liberal Anglican Arthur Penryn Stanley's doctrine of progressive revelation. Leo Tolstoy and Fyodor Dostoyevsky referred to Dickens as that great Christian writer. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books behind the story today. 
While we answered some of the questions you have about one of your favorite classic authors, again, my name is Brie Carlisle, and I hope you come back next time when we answer more questions about one of your favorite classic authors. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. Check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the links for our show.